0: Shortly after the murder of Mary Jane Kelly, a newspaper article appeared claiming that Mary Kelly was employed by a couple named John and Mary Reese in Swansea. Further research discovered that the Reese's, along with Mary Reese's father, Dr. John Morgan Hopkins, would all stand trial for murders relating to performing illegal abortions. John Hopkins in 1884 and John and Mary Reese in December 1888 just weeks after the body of Mary Jane Kelly was discovered in Miller's court, and the article connecting the Reese's and Kelly had appeared in the press. Researcher and author Paul Williams relates the strange story of Hopkins and the Reese's, a family working in the abortion trade, and their supposed connection to Mary Jane Kelly in this two-part episode of A Cast of Thousands. Part 1. Dr. John Morgan Hopkins
1: Goethe Wen Farm is seven miles outside the Lily in Cambridgeshire. In the mid-nineteenth century, it was home to one of Carmarthons most notorious and eccentric characters, Dr. John Morgan Hopkins. In November 1888, Hopkins' son-in-law John Reese claimed that Mary Kerry, victim of Jack the Ripper, was born in the Lily. This incorrect identification forms part of a story of deceit and murder, featuring a family who defied Victorian social conventions. It covers three trials, with a father and daughter, both lucky to avoid a capital conviction, and a link to Florence Maybrick, wife and convicted murderer of the alleged Ripper diarist, James Maybrick. In the first of two parts examining this family, we will look at the life and career of John Morgan Hopkins. He was born in Farrenhope, Herefordshire in 1812, son of William and Mary, He studied medicine at the University of Edinburgh, qualified in 1838 with a thesis on green sickness. During his student days he was said to be a champion athlete, and this possibly inspired a bizarre bet in 1846 that a railway policeman couldn't walk seven miles in an hour. A large crowd watched the officer succeed with two minutes to spare. Hopkins liked to gamble and to drink, leading to financial problems, with bankruptcy charges filed against him in 1840. He worked in London as a medical dispensing officer and a surgeon in the East India Company. In 1843 he was convicted for failing to pay a cab driver, James Fisher, who drove him to a Bloomsbury Hotel and waited as requested. When Hopkins never emerged to pay, Fisher went inside to find the doctor refusing to acknowledge he had taken the cab. The matter was referred to the police, released Hopkins back into Fisher's cab. Again he refused to pay and again the police released him. Fisher followed him and was hailed again with Hopkins apparently not recognizing him. On alighting Hopkins claimed to have no money and gave a false address but there was enough information for Fisher to obtain a summons. The magistrate was unimpressed by Hopkins' arguments. In this tale we see a lack of respect for authority and an absolute contempt for the working class. Those traits stayed with him throughout his life. At the time of the cab incident, a farmer called Thomas Lot from Goatry-Wen was staying with Hopkins, seeking tre- treatment for an unspecified illness. Lot's daughter Mary had recently died, and her sister Jane was left in charge of the farm with instructions to sell stock. Hopkins married Jane in the Lenny later that year. The couple kept the bills for the sale, forcing Lot to take out an injunction against them, which was granted in London on Valentine's Day 1844. The maiden name of Thomas's mother Ruth was Hopkins, which may indicate a family connection and explain why he travelled so far for treatment. Jane gave birth to a son, Thomas Lott, in London within nine months of the wedding. We know that Hopkins already had one Ill- illegitimate child by Maria Pride, one of his patients. A court order in 1847 ordered him to pay maintenance. He expressed anger that his father had been contacted by Susan and Rhea's mother. By then he had relocated to Gertrude Wen, presumably forgiven by lot. We can also assume there was a financial benefit from the marriage. His daughter Mary Jane was born on the 10th of July, 1846. During the next 13 years, two boys, William and John Morgan and four girls, Agnes, Helen, Gertrude and Octavia followed. Hopkins combined his growing family and medical practice with farming developing an uneasy relationship with his neighbours and tenants. In 1853, he was charged and convicted with Thomas Locke for not paying poor rate the previous year. Part of the land was leased to another family called Hopkins. On the 23rd December 1853, Isaac Evan Hopkins complained to the magistrates that John Morgan Hopkins had beaten cows on his land and assaulted him. The doctor was convicted. A few months later, Isaac's brother, eight-year-old William, Was observed by Hopkins milking cows on his land apparently on the instructions of Isaac's father. On consecutive days in October 1859 Hopkins was assaulted by local farmers who tried to throw him off his horse. Their motives are unknown. Later in the month he used his medical skills to save the life of hunter Thomas Thomas whose arm was caught in a bush and had to be amputated. It's important to remember that he was not just a general practitioner but knew how to operate. He was a guardian of the local parish and chair of the Camarthenshire Farmers Association, where he expressed some strong views on the use of manure. He also served on the Camarthen Town Council, with comments later that his seniority should have made him mayor. However, the evidence suggests that he was predominantly focused on his medical career. He was briefly consulted in the case of the fasting child Sarah Jacobs, then wrote to the newspapers to deny the extent of his involvement. He signed himself as the former senior physician to the Finsbury Dispensary, the St. John's Dispensary and the Blenheim Dispensary. He also boasted of various charity enterprises in London and said that he had practised in Paris. By the 1870s he was travelling regularly throughout Wales. Hopkins returned to court on 20th March 1860 for failing to pay the wages of John Evans. Ten days later he testified against a servant who had used his name to obtain favours from Evan Evans, landlord of the Royal Line in Carmarthen, now the Queen's Hotel. Evans said that Hopkins was in the habit of staying there. It seems that he conducted his medical practice around a wide area, stopping in various hotels. At some point he began finding more permanent places to stay. This might be connected with an incident in 1862 when he fell off his horse on his way to Carmarthen reflected a desire to be closer to the patients, or stem from other incidents in his personal life. He seems to have abandoned Goat Tree Wen as a permanent residence in the 1860s. From 1858 to 1863, he lodged some days at Picton Terrace, Carmarthen, and had a residence at Swansea with a housekeeper called Langdon. His housekeeper, Picton Terrace, sued him in 1864, after a bailiff tried to seize her goods believing they were his. They included a horse which Hopkins bought for in 1862. In March 1863 he gave her possession of the house and she purchased its furniture. The deal was that she paid the rent and he used the house one day a week for payment of 15 shillings. To put this into context, Mary Kelly owed owed 29 shillings for six weeks rent in London 25 years later. A look at the 1861 census return for Picton Street sheds more light on this arrangement. The housekeeper, Caroline Davis, was described as an anurotant, someone dependent on charity. She was a widow of a three-year-old daughter Barbara L, born in Swansea, 1850. Davis, said to have been born in London, claimed that her parents were patients of John Hopkins. Twenty years later, a woman calling herself Barbara Louisa Hopkins was living with John Hopkins and claiming to be his daughter. She was born in Swansea in 1858. It seems then that for the second time Hopkins had a relationship with a patient that produced a child. We can also suspect that, as hinted, there was some collusion between Hopkins and Davis over the transfer of assets to avoid his creditors. In the 1871 census, Hopkins was listed alone at 5 Billman Street, Carmarthen. He moved to 11 Quay Street sometime before 1876. He received a distant income from regular newspaper advertisements. Endorsing pills to aid constipation. It is also likely to receive some remuneration from the Goat and Murphy Smokeless Coal Company, formed by a group of gentlemen, mostly from Swansea, who received permission to mine on his land in 1874. Although coal existed beneath the surface, it was never extracted, possibly because of a structural fault. The mine was sunk 40 fathoms and abandoned, with the family attempting to lease it from 1890 onwards. His wife, Jane, died in 1879. Her children were all listed at Goatree when the 1881 census when Hopkins lived at Street with Barbara and another daughter, Mary Jane. Younger than his legitimate daughter of the same name by 11 years and described as his housekeeper. She was said to have been born in Wales, but no records of this have been found. Another young woman, Elizabeth Watkins, from Gloucestershire with no occupation was in the house. On the 12th of July, 1884, a woman called Emily Coke died at 11 Quay Street. She had arrived late at night two weeks earlier and was admitted by Mary Jane Hopkins in John's absence. Emily Morgan, said to be the daughter of Thomas Morgan and a relative of Mary Jane, was staying at the house and had been there for several months. Mary later claimed that she wasn't expecting a visitor but allowed Emily to share her bed, explaining that there was a gentleman in the parlour. One wonders what sort of gentleman visits two young ladies in the evening when their male guardian is absent. Both Mary and John said at the inquest that they never had strangers staying over. Two doctors testified that the death was caused by blood loss due to partition and were adamant that Emily Cooper had given birth recently. Hopkins denied that she was pregnant and sought unsuccessfully to stop an inquest being held. Mary Jane also failed to notice any signs of pregnancy. The father of the child was Andrew Francis Bainton. Originally from Bath, he practised as a dentist in Swansea at Diverna Place, before abandoning his wife and moving to Chippenham with a young woman called Emily Morris, who posed as his wife and gave birth to a daughter, Constance. His wife applied for a divorce, but there's no record of this being accepted. Emily died in 1883 and was buried at Bainton. Andrew Bainton first alleged that Cope made her own way to Carmarthen after a friend received a similar service. This was assumed to mean an abortion, an illegal operation, and it remains so after 24 weeks of pregnancy in the UK today. Later, Bainton admitted meeting Cope at Camarron Station, escorting her to Hopkins House and staying at a local inn. Her family, who didn't meet him till after her death, believed that he was a solicitor called Frank Bainton. Interestingly, he had moved to Cardigan, suggesting that it was a brief affair, not a relationship with Emily Cope. Despite claiming not to know Cope's identity, Hopkins arranged to send her coffin back to Bath with the correct name on it. He said he had replied to correspondence from a commercial traveller called Charles Hopkins, but was unable to produce the letters after the inquest sent him home to get them. His diagnosis was at odds with the evidence from the other medical professionals and the inquest returned a verdict of murder against him and Bainton. Neither Mary Hopkins nor Emily Morgan were in front of the Grand Jury at Swansea where the bill was thrown out. The case then proceeded on the coroner's warrant. It was decided to drop charges against Bainton who had been quite candid in acknowledging his relationship with Coke, but not admitting any collusion with Hopkins. As the trial progressed, Mr. the judge, Mr Justice Cave, decided that medical evidence did not show anyone was responsible for the death and therefore directed the jury to find Hopkins not guilty. This also ruled out manslaughter charges, which the prosecution advocated as an alternative to murder given Hopkins' neglect. At the very least, Hopkins was guilty of professional misconduct. He examined Cope and maintained that she was not pregnant, supported by Aunt Mary and Emily, plus a dyer called Susanna Howard, who was the widow of Edward Howard, former landlord of the Adelaide Hotel in Swansea. Emily's father, brother-in-law and Bainton all said she was pregnant. On balance, we can agree with them and the other doctors. John Morgan Hopkins was in his mid-seventies and suffering from gout. If anyone was going to operate then it would more likely have been Mary Hopkins, later convicted of performing abortions, or Emily Morgan. Hopkins' arrogance and evasiveness in front of the coroner might have been designed to protect his daughter, with the reasoning that an established elderly and respectable physician stood a better chance of escaping the loose than an illegitimate young woman. However, there are reasons to doubt the logical assumption that Bainton sent Emily to Hopkins for an abortion. The pregnancy was well advanced and visible to Emily's friends, family and acquaintances as well as people she met in Wales. One might expect an earlier decision to terminate. The procedure was generally quick and discreet. It had to be to avoid detection. Emily stayed at Quay Street for two weeks and went to the theatre with Mary Jane Hopkins and Emily Morgan as well as meeting Susanna Howard. Moreover, it was not Bainton who arranged and paid for Emily's trip to Carmarthen, but her father, George Cope. He claimed not to know why she wanted to go there and said that he didn't know Hopkins. This was accepted at the time, but we now know from the 1861 census that George Cope and his family were living at Goatree when in that year. The census shows on the same page as John Morgan Hopkins. George's occupation was given as agricultural labourer, suggesting that he worked on the farm. It could not have been for long because Emily was born in Bath in 1862 and two older children, William in 1860 and Mary Jane in 1859, came from the same city. Mary Jane married Alfred Deacon and she received a letter from Emily saying the child was safely delivered. And Unless the letter was fabricated or Emily chose to lie, this suggests that the charges of abortion cannot apply. The question should be, what happened to the child? Did it die of natural causes, or worse, if Emily dead, wasn't disposed of? There was a trade in baby farming in the Victorian period, which makes more sense given the late stage of pregnancy. Some baby farmers killed the infants and eight were executed in the United Kingdom between 1870 and 1909. Undoubtedly, Hopkins' main concern was financial. He moaned to the colonel about having to bear the cost of Emily's coffin. This might indicate that he had not been paid for whatever service he was asked to provide. George Cope surely knew about Hopkins and logically then knew and approved Emily was going to him. George was illiterate, meaning that correspondence had to go through a third party. It is possible that Hopkins and Mary were right in saying that Emily arrived on a unannounced. Her father may have sent her with Bain international as an escort. The length of her stay is then explained if Mary waited for her father to return and he had to contact George for instructions and payment. Possibly Hopkins realised it was too late to safely abort and had to negotiate an alternative. Another possibility is that Emily was intended to return as Bainton's wife. He could not legally marry her, but he could pretend the ceremony had taken place. He would have to explain to her family that he was a dentist called Andrew, not a solicitor called Frank. But having passed one mistress off as his wife, he could have done the same again. The difference was that he had a daughter by Emily Morris, though it isn't clear if she was still living with him. After the trial he left by the back exit of the court and moved to France, where he died in 1890. Probate was granted to John D. Morris, guardian of his daughter. D. Morris was from Herefordshire. Constance May Bainton died in 1900. As far as is known, her father never commented on Emily Cope again. Nor did Hopkins. Following the acquittal, he continued with his medical practice despite his age and illness. On the 20th of January 1885, his adult sons William and John Morgan were baptised. His first boy Thomas had been baptised in London. There is no record of the girls ever receiving the sacrament. On the 29th of February, 1885, Hopkins took the train as he did every week from Carmarvon to the Then he took the bus to the Mount Pleasant public house where he collapsed and died. This was a regular trip. There are many references to him being found in public houses, including one where he was located after Emily Cope's death. We can speculate he was a functioning alcoholic. His funeral was at Goat Tree and he was buried in a family vault. We will now look briefly at the future of the other characters mentioned. Hopkins' father-in-law Thomas Lott retired to Swansea after marrying Jane Harris several years his junior. He died in 1864. Maria Pride, mother of Hopkins' first known illegitimate child, married John Sinnoh in Camden in 1871. She died in 1897. It is not known what happened to the child. Barbara Louisa Hopkins married Andrew Burt Watson in London on of June 1882, listing John Morgan Hopkins' physician as her father. No further trace has been discovered, but the name of Barbara Louisa Watson Widow appears on two separate bands for marriage in the same popular church in 1887. It is not clear what happened to her mother, Caroline Davis, or where she originally came from. The fate of Hopkins' first boy, Thomas, is unknown. His other sons, John Morgan and William, died at Goatree Wern in 1886 and 1889, leaving the four daughters to run the farm. They all remained spinsters and were not immune from controversy. In 1901, they sued a tenant, James Lewis, for stopping burning down trees. On the 5th of March, 1902, Lewis assaulted Octavia, receiving a fine. His cousin, Henry Smith, who lived at Gochiwen, said that the assault was committed by Mary Jane Hopkins with a stone. Both men were tried for perjury, with Smith receiving three months' hard labour and Lewis nine. In October 1903, Evans wrote a letter saying that Mary Jane Hopkins was insane. He became a horse dealer in Bridge End and Smith died in 1908. Octavia died in 1902 and Mary the following year. This left Helen and Agnes living alone. At some point they retired and William Charles Painter ran the farm for 1911. He employed a bailiff Charles Richards whose wife Jane chased Helen Hopkins with a gun, witnessed by Agnes in 1913. Jane was bound over for six months. In 1918 Painter's wife Sarah applied for a maintenance order on the grounds for desertion, mentioning a daughter between her husband and Jane Richards. This case revealed that Painter paid £80 per annum for the farm. Mary Ann Llewellyn, the painter's housekeeper, successfully sued the South Wales Daily Post for libel after it said the case was brought on the grounds of adultery with her. This was the last known scandal featuring the Hopkins family of Wen, and the third in which her housekeeper played a part. The two remaining sisters stayed there for another two decades. Agnes Laura Hopkins died last on the 4th of September 1938 Property was left to a couple called Andrew and Rachel Harvard, Nee Wood, who had been living there. The rest of the estate went to three relatives, Leonard Howell, Arthur Howell and James Howell. In their will, Agnes said that she was unaware of their current address, suggesting that the relationship was not strong. They were brothers, born in London, with Leonard and James being twins. Their parents were Arthur and Amelia, Nee Hopkins, who married in 1858. Amelia's father was a gentleman called William Hopkins, who was born in Wales. We can speculate he was a brother or cousin of John Morgan Hopkins. Nearly a century had passed since John arrived at Gertrude when, he antagonised his neighbours and abandoned his family, yet remained a pillar of the community. A woman died in his house and a newborn child disappeared. Despite making statements that were blatantly incorrect, he escaped any punishment. At the inquest into Emily Cokes' death, the coroner referred to rumours about abortions, which presumably had been current for some time. We cannot prove any of these, but we can say set a setup set-up at Quay Street with illegitimate daughters and other young women living there was highly irregular. And the drama did not end with his death. Soon afterwards Mary Jane Hopkins II married John Reese, a widower and commercial traveller. She advertised her services as a midwife, based in Swansea, but maintaining the Quay Street address. Her father's endorsements continued to be printed, and she used his name to advertise her own services. In 1888, she appeared in the same court he stood trial, also charged with murder, arising from an attempted abortion. At the same time, her husband was charged with an unrelated abortion offence, but first he claimed to know Mary Jane Kelly. We'll pick up that story in part two.
0: And that was Paul Williams on Dr. John Morgan Hopkins, just one of the cast of thousands. I would like to thank Paul for contributing this first and what will hopefully become a series of short form episodes detailing the research that Ripper historians have conducted into some of the lesser known figures who populate in the background of the Whitechapel murders. I would like to thank you all for listening and we'll see you next time.